Well, thanks so much, Zach. That is just so encouraging to hear um, what the Lord has done in your life. Also, I got to say, you guys are awesome. Like, sometimes it's kind of scary to get up here, and you're all just so encouraging, and like, I love seeing, yeah, look at this. <laughs> it's awesome. Like, your smiling faces, your cheers. I just want you to know that you guys are appreciated. Um, yeah, so like Jared and Elena said, my name is Rebecca, and I am on staff with Crew. I have to say, I kind of have the best job in the world. <laughs> it's kind of hard to argue with that. Um, I get to hang out with you guys. I get to go to a lot of really cool places. But one of my favorite things about my job is that you get to go to cool places like Estonia. Like, super cool. Um, there's a group of us that spent six weeks in Estonia last summer, and kind of towards the end of, of the trip, we went to this island called Huma. Um, yeah, those of you who went, it's super awesome. And so the idea behind this retreat, it was called Huma Challenge. And so everyone was in a little team, and you competed in these, like, crazy challenges. Like, some of them made sense, like Ultimate Frisbee. Like, that's a pretty normal thing to compete in. But other things, like, they're like, oh, let's run seven miles to the end of this beach and then try and blow this balloon until it pops. Like, just crazy things. Um, and so one day... In the morning, this was the morning of, we did this really crazy beach challenge, um, and they told us part of the challenge that day was to find Herman. And Herman, he's the leader of crew in Estonia, and so we're like, okay, we can do this. Like, we're gonna go, we're gonna look. And so as we're like sweating, running down this beach, like doing all these ridiculous things and like army crawling through the sand, just this crazy stuff, we're like, okay, like, where's Herman? We get halfway through the day, no Herman. We, we can't find him. And so then we go on a hike later, and we're like, okay, well, maybe Herman is somewhere, like, hiding in the trees, so we keep looking for him. He is nowhere to be found. And so we start to get frustrated, because it's like, we want to win. We're competitive. He's literally nowhere to be found. Um, and we're like, this is ridiculous. And so some people, they started getting really creative. They're like, okay, well, maybe if I, like, I don't maybe I'll like FaceTime him. Will that count? Will they give me points if I see him over a screen? Um, or like his daughter was like, oh, I have his location. Maybe I can like track him and try to find him. But still, nowhere to be found. Like he is nowhere in sight. Um, so later that evening, Herman just like comes waltzing in and we're like, dude, where were you? <laughs> like we were looking for you all day. Where were you? And he's like, oh, I was in Tallinn. And so Tallinn, for, it's the capital of Estonia. It's 100 miles away from this island. Like, you literally have to take a ferry. You have to cross the sea and drive to the capital city. We're like, this is ridiculous. Like, how are we going to find you in Tallinn? Um, and the way that Herman responded has stuck with me ever since. And he just simply says you were looking in the wrong place. And like part of me was annoyed, but at the same time I was like, okay, like <laughs> I, I see what you're doing with this. Um, yeah, but honestly, like I think that happens to a lot of us sometimes that like we're striving and we're hoping for things and we're looking in all these places, but we're just simply looking in the wrong place. So, we have been in this series called Gospel-Centered Community, which is where we get to talk all about 
what do we get to do as community here? Um, and so for those of you that are just jumping into our series, um, kind of as a bit of a recap, we have seen that from the very beginning of time, um, God has existed in three persons as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and has had this beautiful, wonderful, loving community within himself. Um, we've talked about what the gospel means, because if we're going to be a gospel-centered community, we want to be centered in the gospel. Um, and the gospel is essentially the good news of what Jesus has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection, and that because of that, we're invited into a better story, one of hope and of meaning. Um, we've gotten a picture of what this gospel-centered community looks like, that it's one that doesn't avoid conflict, but steps into it, and that is a, it's a community that actively cultivates instead of just consuming community. And so we're kind of sitting on a bit of a hinge point in this series. Um, kind of as far, like, before we get into the super nitty-gritty of like, okay, like, what does it mean to be joyful? What does it mean to be like all these different things? How do we do that? We need to step back and look specifically at how does our faith in Jesus actually enable us to be a part of this community. Um, and so if you've been around for most of this series, there's probably a lot of different like feelings and emotions in the room. Maybe you're like, yeah, like this is exactly what I've been wanting. Like I've been searching for community for so long. This is what I want. That's awesome. But maybe as you've started, you know, maybe you've gone to community group and you're like, oh, that was kind of awkward. Or maybe you like went to a hangout and you're like, oh, I'm like super nervous and anxious and I don't really know what to do. Um, and so maybe you're starting to feel a little nervous about this. Or maybe you were never excited about this in the first place and you're just here because you have this like feeling that it's the right thing to do. And that's totally okay. Like wherever you are at tonight, um, I hope that this really, really speaks to all of us. Um, but I would guess that for some of us, there's this feeling of just like frustration and like, oh gosh, this is hard. Like, what am I actually getting myself into? Did I really like agree to coming to this? Um, maybe you're like super introverted and you're like, you're like literally my people battery gone. Like if I have to have one more conversation with a person, I'm, I'm so done with this. Um, but yeah, if you relate to any of that, you are not alone. And yeah, I'm just excited to see what the Lord has for us tonight. Um, because yeah, truly in our own strength and in our own wisdom, we can't live out this gospel-centered community um, because we're looking in the wrong place to find the fuel that we need um, to, to live this out. But instead, when we abide in Christ's love, we will bear fruit and we'll bring God glory and we'll be enabled to love in a sacrificial way. So kind of a way to summarize what exactly it is that we're talking about tonight is this idea of faith working through love. So we are going to dive into that tonight. We're going to look at it from both sides. First, we're going to see that we cannot love others in a gospel-centered way apart from faith in Christ. We'll then see that our cultural and human definition of love is so different than the biblical definition of of love that we're called to in Christ. Um, and then last, we're going to look at kind of how these two things fit together, kind of like puzzle pieces, and they work beautifully together, and they enable us to bring glory to God. So with that, I'm going to pray for us. Yeah, Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you that who you are um, is the foundation for how we're able to engage with others. We thank you that 
you have made a way. Um, I just pray that you would open the hearts of all of us tonight, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide and work in the places that we're struggling or confused, um, and specifically in regards to community. God, would you give us insight and understanding, um, and just pray that you would work incredible ways tonight. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are going to be in the book of John tonight. So if you guys want to grab your Bibles, um, we're going to be in John chapter 15. If you have the Bibles on the table, I think it's page 614. So if you guys want to turn there, while you're finding your way there, um, the book of John was written by a guy named John, and it's one of four accounts of Jesus's life in the Bible. So before chapter 15 in the book of John, we see a lot of things there's lots of stories and narratives and miracles that are all pointing to this idea that Jesus is the Messiah, that he truly is the Son of God. Um, and right after John 15, shortly after, this is when Jesus is killed, when he's resurrected. Um, and so we kind of find ourselves right in the middle, like right before he's about to be killed. And he's having this really sweet moment with his disciples, which are the people that were following him, that were learning from him, um, learning how to how to make his name known. Um, and so he's sitting with them, spending time with him. His disciples love him. He loves his disciples. And so Jesus is taking this really intentional time before he dies to be with them and to instruct them and to show them love. Um, so let's go ahead and read John 15, 1 through 13. So it says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You all are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that your joy, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So as Jesus is spending time with his disciples before he dies, um, what we see Jesus is using this kind of picture of a vine bearing fruit to help his followers understand how they should relate to them. So even just starting off, very first thing, verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Okay, so that's pretty important, true vine. Like, what does that mean that he is the true vine? Um, so let's think about the implications of that word. So Jesus is speaking, he says he's the true vine. If how we relate to Jesus is kind of this analogy that we're sitting in right now, then an implication we can draw from that is that we often relate to counterfeit things, things that are not the true vine. So for example, if I'm just like chilling here and I'm like, I'm gonna grow strawberries from thin air, that's not gonna work. Or even I'm like, I'm like, okay, well, I'll grab like this old yarn that I found in the back of my closet. I'm gonna like try and go grow strawberries from it. Like, 
that's not going to work. Um, and so we see in this in verse 4 where it says that the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, um, neither can we unless you abide in me. So all this to kind of draw the point that what we abide in matters, and it makes a big difference. And this is kind of the, the whole idea behind faith. We cannot bear fruit or love others in a gospel-centered way apart from faith in Christ. So let's, we're going to continue to like break this idea down a little bit more. Why does it matter what we put our faith in? So recently, my dryer broke. It was a huge bummer. Um, I shouldn't have been surprised because I got it off of Facebook Marketplace for like $50. <laughs> so I really shouldn't have been surprised, but my clothes were like mid-cycle, and it stops running, and I'm like, oh, dang it. So we go down there. Eventually, me and my roommates figure out how to fix the dryer, and we're like, cool, look at us. We figured it out. This is great. And then like three days later, the dryer breaks again. I'm like, ah, oh, seriously? So we fix it again. Like it takes us less time to fix the dryer now, um, but we're frustrated. We're like, come on. Um, and then this pattern keeps happening. We're like, we fix it. It works for a while. It breaks. We fix it. It works for a while. It breaks. Um, and so as weird as this sounds, my relationship with my dryer is dependent on the dryer itself. Like this dryer is not trustworthy. Like if I have an important event coming up, I'm not going to dry my clothes right before it because I don't want to show up to like some fancy event with like sopping wet clothes because that would be super awkward. Okay, so let's take it kind of a step up from there. I've been on quite a few flights in my lifetime and when I first started flying, I was super nervous. Like I'd get on the plane, I'd sit in the seat and I'd just be praying. I'd be like, okay, Lord, like don't, please don't let this, cra this plane crash. I'm like super nervous about that. Um, honestly, I was terrified. It was really scary. But every, as I flew more, um, I started to trust that the plane would get me to where I needed to go. Now, that doesn't mean that the very first flight I took, the pilot wasn't trustworthy, because he was. Um, because, like, based on his training, experience, hopefully it's a quality plane, I don't really know. Maybe some of you here know more about planes than I do. But because of those things, like the plane and the pilot was worthy to be trusted. So my relationship with flying is impacted by the trustworthiness of the plane and of the pilot. Okay, so we're going to take this up one more step, and it's quite a big step this time. Um, but who God is directly impacts how I relate to him. And again, this is the idea behind faith. So in Hebrews 11:1, 1, it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So I'm not sitting behind the pilot of the plane and like looking over his shoulder like, oh, are you turning the right way? Are we going the right speed? Are we like still on track? Um, nor do I, you know, like say I go back out to my seat and then every five minutes I come back and I'm like, okay, pilot, are we like, are we in the right place? Are we doing the right thing? Like, that would be ridiculous. I don't know anything about planes other than how to get on and off the plane and that it's supposed to fly through the air. Like that's all I know about planes. Um, and so I can trust the pilot, because he knows so much better than I do. So faith is the viewpoint that God is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he'll do. So Hebrews says that it's a confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We trust God based on who he says he is and what he says he'll do. 
The thing is, God has shown himself faithful over years and years and years and years. Like, he's been so faithful to his people. And he, so he doesn't actually have to prove himself and, and show that he's good and faithful. And yet, out of his kindness and his compassion towards us, he meets us in that place of, like, of doubt and worry and, like, us not being sure of who he is. And he's like, I want to show you that I'm faithful because I love you, um, even though he has no need to actually do that. So while we have not seen God part the Red Sea for the Israelites, like none of us were there to witness that, nor were any of us there when Jesus was raised from the grave. Um, we trust that that's who God is, even though we can't see that. He's worthy of being trusted. So again, it makes a difference who we're putting our faith in. And God is so incredibly worthy. Um, again, if I'm trusting my Facebook marketplace dryer, like, I should rightly have this sense of distrust. But to place our, our faith in someone who is holy and loving and good and faithful for, like, thousands of years when we were faithless. Like, we, we are faithless to God all the time, and yet he is faithful to us. So Jesus is the true vine, um, and so we see that it is impossible to bear fruit, to exhibit these qualities of love, joy, patience, um, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, apart from him. So we kind of have talked about in our little equation of faith working through love, we've looked at the faith side, and we've seen, like, okay, like, it matters who it is that we're putting our faith in. So now we're going to look at the love side. Like, what, what is this love that he's talking about? Because sometimes when we hear the word love, it's not always the same. We don't always think of the same things as Je that Jesus is talking about. So I want you guys to kind of think to yourselves for a second. If you were to think about the cultural definition of love, so I'm not talking biblical, I'm not talking what you were taught growing up, but cultural definition of love. Like, what comes to your mind? Maybe it's emotion, like this feeling of, like, warmth and excitement and joy about something. Maybe you think of romance. Maybe you think of acceptance or approval. I think these are all pretty common things that come to our mind when we think about love from a cultural standpoint. Um, I think a helpful way to kind of like shed light on this, um, I'm sure all of us in here have seen rom-coms. They're pretty classic. Um, and if you, if you were to try and think of like the most classic storyline of a rom-com, you know, there's like this girl, she goes to a new place, she's dating somebody, but then she meets a guy in this other place that she decides she likes better. So then she cheats on her current boyfriend, and then they eventually get back together. Um, and, and as we're watching this, we're like, woohoo, like, yeah, like, she gets the guy. <laughs> like, you go after you want, this is awesome. But when you actually think about it, when you, like, pull that apart, and discover what we're actually cheering for, we're cheering for like this idolization of self. It's like, in this case, love is you do what you want. Love is go after your desires. Like that, that's what we talk about with love and this is so dangerous because when we take self and we put it up here, all of a sudden God kind of just falls away. 
And that's super dangerous. And when we're constantly pursuing the things that we want with this idea of love behind it, we kind of end up hurting people. Um, and we have no regard for others. So if that's what our culture says, let's see what scripture says and what God has to say about love. So looking at our passage, passage in John, we'll see a couple of things. Um, it talks about that it cuts off branches that do not bear fruit. It prunes branches that do bear fruit. And he also says that the ultimate example of love is laying your life down for your friend. So quite different than what might come to, come, come to mind. So verse 2, it says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So if the, if the branch is truly connected to the vine, just how that works, it will bear fruit. But in this case, it's not bearing fruit. If it's some counterfeit vine that you're attaching yourself to, that's not, that's not the true vine that we're talking about. So I think this is kind of a, both a caution, but at the same time, an invitation to all of us. An invitation to consider, like, okay, am I, am I attached to the true vine? And I think what often happens in our, in our culture, um, and this isn't true for everybody, but I think sometimes we think that just because we've grown up in the church that that means we're a Christian. Um, and I don't, think, I don't think that's always true. And I want to be so abundantly clear as I'm addressing this tonight, um, that being a Christian, it's not at all about what you have or what you haven't done um, or how well you can perform. Like, it's based on God's incredible grace. But I think this is a really healthy and actually really loving thing for us to think through. Like, have you allowed God's incredible grace into your life? And have you trusted in what Jesus has done in his life and death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins and for restoration of relationship to God? And if you haven't, I invite you to consider, you know, maybe even tonight um, to make that decision to put your faith in Jesus because he loves you so dearly and because he's so full of, of grace and love and mercy and he wants to be near to you. So it also says in verse 2, he prunes branches that do bear fruit. And I think this is kind of an interesting idea. It's like, okay, like the, it is bearing fruit, so why is it pruning it? Um, I'm not a gardener, so I'm really not the, the person to talk about this, but I know there's some people who really love plants in the room. And so in order for a plant to be really healthy, like we have to, you have to prune it so that it can have like the maximum, maximum, maximum growth and maximum fruit. So Jesus is saying that believers who are abiding and trusting in him must also be pruned or cleansed. So my first thought when I think about that, I'm like, okay, this imagery of like cutting and like throwing out, like that does not sound fun. That actually sounds kind of painful. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of is, if I'm being honest. Um, I, so Jared mentioned that I spent a year in East Asia, and while I was there, my team leaders, it was probably like halfway through the year that I was there, they sat down with me and they're like, hey, like we really want to talk to you about some things that we have seen in your life. Like we have seen that you seem to have really unrealistic and unhealthy expectations for your friendships. And it's kind of leading to like disappointment in you and also just like discord in your relationships with other people. And when they told me that, I was like, oh. <laughs> Oh 
gosh. Like, I remember walking home from that meeting with them and just feeling horrible. I was like, oh, gosh. I feel like they just, like, poked at a place in my heart that's really sore. And it did not feel good. Um, but I think kind of what I was feeling was this sense of pride. Like, I didn't want to have to be told that I was wrong. I didn't want to have to be told that, like, there's something in my life that I needed to fix. Like, I wanted to have it together. I wanted to be that girl who knew everything. But honestly, guys, like, I'm so glad they did because I, I wasn't aware that that was happening. And so for them to, like, lovingly bring that up to me honestly has, like, brought so much more freedom in my relationships and in my friendships with people. Um, and so while it's painful, it's actually super loving to be pruned, which sounds really weird, but it's, like, it leads to to health and to wholeness and to like this really sweet thing and and we need each other in this and like this is a really sweet part of gospel-centered community is that we get to do that in light of grace and love for each other and it leads to greater fruitfulness so the last thing we see about love in verse 13 it says greater love has no one than this to lay down your life for your friend and so here we see perhaps the most clear definition of what the biblical definition of love is. It's not selfish. It's not self-serving. Instead, it's sacrificial and self-giving. And I hope this specifically challenges us tonight. Like, I think it can be so easy, again, because of our culture and our own selfishness, to just, like, put ourselves above everything else. Like, eh, this is what I want to do, so this is what I'm going to go do. Instead of, like, looking at, okay, like, how can I sacrificially love others? Um, and this picture is so different and so much more rich and beautiful and fruitful than what comes naturally to us. So I'd love to encourage you guys to even think of, like, what are some ways in your friendships tonight or this week that we can follow Jesus' example and command to love in this way? So it might look like saying yes to a friend that's having a hard time when you're like, ah, I'd rather go do whatever. Maybe you spend time with them instead. Maybe you have somebody that you're trying to build a friendship with and say they really like classical music. I'm speaking to me because I really like classical music. Um, but for a lot of people, that's like not an exciting thing. And so maybe it looks like, yeah, sure, I will lay down my desires and I'll go do that with you. Or maybe, Maybe you don't like watching sports, and you can go watch sports with your friends. Like, even simple things like that, like, that's a way that you can lay down yourself for the sake of others. Or maybe it's just, like, listening before you speak and really seeking to get to know that person that you're talking to um, because you love them and because you care for them. Or maybe it's seeking to understand somebody before you make a judgment on them. And I think what we'll see when we start stepping into that model um, that it's so much more beautiful than what you imagine. Like, when you think of, like, self-sacrificial, it's like, oh, that doesn't really sound fun. But then you step into it, and it's like, okay, this is hard, but it's awesome. And, like, you see so many really sweet things in your friendships and relationships, um, and even in your own relationship with God. It's like, whoa, this is so cool. And even what Jesus was about to go through shortly after this passage, like shortly after he's spending time with his disciples, is the ultimate picture of love. That he laid down his life because there was a penalty that we owed for our sin. And so Jesus laid down his life to pay that penalty 
and to offer for all people like rest, like forgiveness of sins and restoration of relationship to him. So he died the death that we owed so that we could live the life that he deserved. So we've kind of looked at this idea of faith. Why does it matter what we put our faith in? On the flip side, what is this love that he's actually talking about? And so to kind of finish this off, we're going to talk about how do these two work together? How does faith work through love? So what we see um, in this passage in John, and there's so much in this passage, like probably could have stood up here for three hours, but you all would have gotten bored, so I will not be doing that. Um, I encourage you even to like go home and spend more time looking in this passage, Um, but what we see in this passage is this beautiful mutual relationship of love, trust, faith, fruitfulness, dependence, and a really natural growth of fruit. And this is really different from striving. It's really different from trying to do better and struggling to muster up this love for people that you're like, I I just don't know how I'm going to love this person. It's so different than that. Um, In verse 9, it says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So the branches, you know, they're not just like chilling on the vine and then they like hop off and they like run down to the local like gas station and grab a snack to fuel themselves like that's not what happens no like the branches stay rooted in the vine and it's this beautiful natural relationship of dependence where the father the son and the holy spirit provide everything that we need to love well and for it actually to be natural because we're abiding in him now i think something really interesting to note in this passage Um, this phrase, remain in my love, or remain in me. A really good trick for studying the Bible, or really any, like, type of literature, is if you notice, like, is there a repeated word? And in this one, it's like, there's definitely a repeated word. Like, if you look through this passage, 13 verses, it says, remain in me, or remain in my love, 11 times. It's like, okay, that's probably pretty important if they literally say it that many times. Um, And so, when I think of remain, the first thing that comes to mind is this idea of an active posture. Like, remaining isn't just, like, laying on the floor being like, oh, I guess I'm here. No, it's like a really active thing. It's like an active thing that you're deciding to do. Like, I'm going to actively abide in Christ. I'm going to put my hope and my, and my faith and my everything into him. The other thing that I think of, it's continual. It's not like, well, I'll abide in Christ today, but tomorrow I don't need to. Like, it's this continual thing where it's like, okay, I'm tempted to put my faith and my hope and my trust in all these other things, but I'm going to continually go back to the true vine, to the true sustainable life source that never runs out. And so what we see, um, we see two results of what, of remaining in him. Um, The first thing in verse 11, it says, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. How kind is God towards us? Like, like for real, that is crazy to me. Like, he desires and hopes that we would experience his joy. And it's not like a superficial joy. Like, it's this deep, true, real, abiding joy, and it's not dependent on what's going on in our world. And we find that this joy that that Christ gives us, it's not by striving and trying and working to get there, but it's simply by remaining in Christ. 
I know for sure the times in my life when I've been like just the most at peace and the most content with how things were going are the times that I've abided in Christ the most. So whether I'm in the word and in prayer by myself or in the context of community or in worship or serving God's people by loving them sacrificially, like it really does lead to this crazy joy that is so different than, than you'll find anywhere else. The next result we see, we see in verse 8, it says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So as we're abiding in Christ, we experience a fullness of joy that is natural and fruitful, and that that actually brings God glory. So that means that God is on display through you and your life and your relationships with other people. And that because of that, other people see that, and they know more about who God is because of how you're relating to him and how you're relating to others. So as we abide and trust in him, we're freed to be fully known and fully loved. We're enabled to step deep into the weeds of relationships and community where where things are messy and things are hard, um, and to not expect anything in return, but instead be able to love authentically and, and truly care for people. And as we abide in Christ, we find that the life source we are in desperate need of is found in him. It's not about striving, it's about resting in him. And that we receive the power that we need to love in the way that Jesus modeled for us. So we can be freed from searching and looking endlessly in the wrong places for power and strength to do the Christian life. And instead, we can enter into this beautiful relationship of faith in God and love for others, resulting in joy and glory to God. So as we look to continue on in this series, I really do pray that we would remember this, that as we talk about the different ways that we can engage in community, that we can be joyful, that we can be forgiving, all these different things that we're going to dive into, that we would be reminded, and actively remind each other too, because we're so, we're so quick to forget. We're such forgetful people. Um, that we'd be reminded that when we're looking to our own strength and wisdom, that we're not able to live out a gospel-centered community. But when we abide in Christ's love, we will bear fruit, bring glory to God, and be enabled to love sacrificially. Will you guys pray with me? Yeah, Father, we just thank you that you have made a way for us. Um, you've made a way for us to be reconciled to you. You've made a way for us to have forgiveness of sins. You've made a way for us to be able to engage in this gospel-centered community um, that can be so hard when we're trying to rely on our own strength. Father, I pray that you would meet each one of us in the places that we're struggling, specifically with community. We know that so many times, um, deep wounds and other things can be really interconnected into why this feels really challenging for us. And so I pray that you would meet us in those places, that we'd be reminded that um, by, be, by being connected to you, the true vine, God, that you make a way, um, and that through you and through abiding in you and nothing else, we can bear fruit. Um, and Lord, we pray that this would be all to your glory. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen.